And I hope that you have a copy of God's Word with you tonight and that you can join me for our last study in Psalm 96, the missionary psalm. The title of our message tonight will be The Sovereignty of God, especially taken from verse 10 in Psalm 96. It's a rare treat in the day and time in which we live to actually get to hear a preacher speak on the sovereignty of God. But I want you to know that outside of the doctrine of the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, there's probably no other doctrine that is more important for the child of God to understand than the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It's that important. Because the question tonight is, who is in control of this world? Who is in control of time and of our lives? And I'm glad to tell you that the Lord reigneth. That God is in complete and sovereign control. And that He is on His throne tonight. Does it rejoice your heart to know that Jesus is King tonight? Does it rejoice your heart to know that the Lord reigneth? Well, this is the message, true message of evangelism. This psalm is the missionary psalm. And isn't it interesting that in verse 10, if you'll go with me there, we read that the psalmist says, Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. We would think from most missionary societies and most mission-minded people that the word of God would have said, say among the heathen who are the Gentile nations, is who is being considered here, that the scriptures would have said, say among the heathen that the Lord saveth or that Jesus saves. But beloved, the great message of evangelism the great message of the gospel is not just that Jesus saves, but that Jesus reigns, that he is both Lord and Christ. Uh, the message of the gospel is to repent, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that there is a sovereign God in whom we will all be held accountable before at the end of, of our lives. So what would it matter if Jesus saves, if Jesus couldn't keep you saved? What would it matter if he's not mighty to save? What would it matter if he cannot save to the uttermost? But we know that the scripture declares that the God who reigns, amen, is the God who saves. And so we can have confidence in that salvation because that salvation is tied to his glory. It is tied to his throne and to his reign and to his sovereignty so here the psalmist does he says this is the this is the message and we're going to see it uh in several several places just if you kind of have the psalms open there look at verse 10 again say among the heathen that the lord reigneth look at psalm 97 verse 1 the lord reigneth look at psalm 99 verse 1 the lord reigneth it's kind of a theme uh, through these different psalms that we're studying through and reading together. 
and this concept of the sovereignty of God. Well, the first point that I want to discuss with you tonight is this truth, that it is God's sovereignty in creation, providence, and salvation that is the greatest encouragement possible for evangelism. It is actually the truth of God's sovereignty in creation, in providence, and in salvation. It's the greatest encouragement that we could have possibly for evangelism and for missions. Because we know that God has created all things for himself. Amen. That God has said, I have a people in every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. And that at some point in their life between, between birth and death, he's going to call them both inwardly by the Spirit of God and outwardly by the gospel to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we go forth to evangelize, unlike the Armenian world, the Armenian world goes forth to evangelizing thinking that everybody out there has a chance to be saved, and if they can just get the right message at the right time and convince them to make the right decision, then those people have a chance and a possibility to be saved and become the children of God. That's not our motive or our encouragement to evangelize. Because, beloved, if, if that's true, how disappointed the Father must be. How... Uh, dissatisfied the Son of God, Jesus Christ, must be and how defeated the Holy Spirit must feel if, if that's the case that uh, God has just provided this chance and opportunity and it's, it's, us to, it's up to us to get the message and it's up to uh, totally depraved sinners to respond uh, to the gospel in order for salvation to occur, um, I'm glad that I don't have to lay my head on my pillow every night thinking, well, somebody probably went to hell today that could have gone to heaven because I didn't get a chance to evangelize them or somebody else didn't or they didn't make a choice for Jesus. No. Beloved, we preach a sovereign God that of all that has been given to Christ, he will lose nothing but raise it up at the last day, that he is not willing that any of his children will perish, but that they'll all come to repentance because he's a sovereign God. He, he knows his children. He, he knows when they're going to be born. He knows when he's going and how he's going to get the gospel to them, who he's going to send and at what time and what, what moment. And he can work all things together after the counsel of his own will. He's doing his pleasure. And everybody that he desires to be saved are going to be saved. He's mighty to save. He saves to the uttermost. And so this is the greatest encouragement that we could possibly have for evangelism because when we go forth to spread the gospel under the command of the Great Commission, we know that we're doing that under the bidding of the Holy Spirit and under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us and lead us. We don't believe that everybody is going to believe. We don't think that everybody is going to respond to the gospel, but we know that God has a, his elect out there and that they are going to respond to it by faith 
and, and come to know Christ. And so we can have great confidence when we're fulfilling the Great Commission, when we're witnessing out there that God is in control of all these things and His will will be done. And so that's why in the missionary psalm, I think that you're, that you're getting my point. He didn't say, let the, let the nations, or, or He says, say among the heathen that Jesus saves, though Jesus does save. Amen. And there's not salvation in any other. He said, but that's, that's not uh, the thing that is most important for them uh, to hear. The most important thing for them to hear is that the Lord reigns. And that the Lord that does reign is the, God that's, is the only God that can save. And he saves to the uttermost. And he's mighty to save. So rejoice in that today. Let's go to some scriptures. Let's let the scriptures speak. Because the sovereignty of God has fallen on hard times in, in regards to the, what we would consider as modern Christianity. Now, those of us that have grown up among the old Baptists, we've heard it all our lives. And we rejoice in it and we're, we're thankful for it. But if you have friends that are out there in the, in the Christian community, very few of them know very little about truly about the sovereignty of God and, and what it meant, what it means. And... What is a gospel without the sovereignty of God? What is a salvation without a sovereign king? You know, when Peter was preaching at, at Pentecost, his message was, you have crucified the one that was both Lord and Christ. And so we want the scriptures to speak to us in, in this regard about the sovereignty of God. Like I said, it's, it's probably... Outside of knowing that and believing that the scriptures are the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, for you to be able to really worship and serve God as God desires, there's no other greater doctrine for you to know or to rejoice in than the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Because everything else flows off of that wonderful truth. So here in Daniel chapter 4, uh, verses that are very familiar to us, and I love uh, the words that are spoken by the Holy Spirit here and, and the truth and the power behind them. But what I even love almost just as much as who God uses as the human means to say these words. Because you would think these words would come from Someone that had uh, been a follower of God all of his life, like one of the prophets or, or King David. But these words that I'm going to read to you, which are some of the greatest statements of the sovereignty of God in all the Bible, they come from a man who knew almost nothing about God, the true God, his entire life. His entire life. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Really, Nebuchadnezzar is describing the Bible as probably the most powerful earthly monarch that has ever lived on the face of the earth. The, the dominion, the power, the control that he had at his time. He was that head of gold on that statue of the vision that Daniel saw, right? Um, they said that, that not a fish flew or uh, not, a fish, not a fish swam or a bird flew, but it wasn't under his authority and dominion in the earth, we're talking about an absolute monarch, a, a man who could just say, I want you to worship me. I, I'm just declaring myself a God. But y'all know 
that God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, this man, this sinner man, who God really was, who the real and true sovereign was. You remember how he, he drove them out away from men? He, he made them eat grass like, like, a, like a beast. And then God revealed himself to him in power. And so this is the man that says this incredible statement about the sovereignty of God. Let's, let's read it together. Daniel 4, 34 through 35. Let it just sink in and the power of what it means. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. Don't you wish this for the citizens of our country, for our leaders that are like the blind leading the blind? Beloved, there's, there's never going to be any true, lasting, real revival or change until men acknowledge the sovereignty of God again. Here he says, My understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever. And now he speaks of His sovereignty, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. Now, this is different than the sovereignty that Nebuchadnezzar has because his reign only lasted for a little while. But he's talking about one whose dominion was not just over fish or over birds, but of all the universe, of, of all uh, generations and times. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. And Nebuchadnezzar says, and all the inhabitants of the earth, including myself, including the Netanyahu's and the Joe Biden's and, and the uh, whoever else who thinks they're powerful in our day, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth his, according to his will, in the harmony of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Is that the God that you believe in? Is that the God that you worship and praise? And that's the God that has saved you. The one that, because he saved, he saved you because it was his will to do so. And he loved you because he wanted to. And it was his pleasure to do so. I think that, beloved, the, this news that uh, we find in Psalm 96, this missionary song, he says, this is, this is the message that you need to go forth with. Yes, do we need to tell him that God is love? Yes, God is love. But what is a God of love if that God does not reign? What is that love if, if his love is not enough to actually save you from your wretched condition? What is that love if... If he loves you at one moment and wants you to go to heaven, but then because you don't choose him, he sends you to a sinner's hell forever, but he still loves you and he condemns you to hell forever because you didn't choose him? No. He said, he said this is what I want you to say among the heathen, that the Lord reigneth. This is the gladdest news that could ever be carried to anyone we think about that tonight as we see a world in turmoil we see what's happening in israel we see what's happening in our own nation and i'm glad to know that 
we look at all of these things not by sight because if you if you look at circumstances in the world just by natural sight you could never believe that a sovereign god was in control but if you can look and see by faith and believe by faith in the unseen hand and hear what the scripture says that um all things work together for good to them that love God according to the purpose and plan of God then beloved you can see aright for the just shall live by what by faith right so uh, go with me to the book of Acts for another scripture this one I love so much because it just states it so clearly now there are a lot of ins and outs of God's sovereignty that I don't deny that are hard to explain. Uh, but the scripture does explain them, uh, some of them, that you just have to embrace by faith and believe what God says about himself. It, it, his, his ways, beloved, are what? They are past finding out. His wisdom is unsearchable. We, we can't attain to it or know it. But there's just statements here that we love that we can center our faith and our understanding that the sovereign God that we love, beloved, aren't you glad that um, it's, he's not uh, a cruel tyrant uh, in the heavens, but that he is a benevolent God and he is a God that is too wise to err and too good to be unkind. That's the one that is sovereign. Yes, yeah, so here in Acts 10 and 36. Well, we'll just go back uh, in verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching by Jesus Christ. And listen to what he leads in with in the parentheses, Drew. He is Lord of what? Of all. There it is again. What are we to say uh, to the Gentiles, to the nations, to a lost and dying world? The Lord reigneth. We have a, a sovereign, supreme God who does all His holy will, who always does what's right. A God whom you can trust in every way imaginable this is the gladdest news that could be carried that jesus reigns alone and like we said uh we rejoice in this in regards to evangelism because we know that god has a people in every kindred nation tribe and tongue go with me to the book of revelation chapter 5 revelation chapter 5 in that great song that the blood-washed band sings together and it's so beautiful to remind ourselves that salvation, God is, is sovereign in creation. He's sovereign in His providence and ruling of the world. And He's also sovereign in salvation. The Lord knoweth them that are His. He has chosen them. Christ has redeemed them. The Holy Spirit will regenerate them in time. And here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, we read this song that was sung. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book 
and to open the seals thereof. I, I just want you to parallel that with Psalm 96. It says, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, right? Well, here they're singing a new song, and they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and gave everybody a chance to be saved. No, that's not what it says. It, you never read that in the Bible, by the way, that God has given everybody a chance to be saved. That's an, a, a cunning invention of men. But here it says, this is what the Bible says, For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Now it's not every single member of the human race, but out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. So there is the greatest encouragement possible for evangelism is that God is sovereign over salvation and as he sends us out and he uses us as his witness as his lights as his city that is set on a hill he is he is sovereign and in complete control over all of that of getting his people to the gospel of getting the gospel uh, to his people uh, in the generation that they need to be gotten to in, in the time in the language, hallelujah, he's sovereign. He's, he's in charge of all of that. And so we have great confidence in the sovereignty of God when it comes to evangelism. And like we said, it's, it's the greatest news that we could ever carry to a human soul is that the Lord reigneth, that Christ, because Christ alone can make happy. Amen. Nothing in this world can bring true happiness. No false religions that are in this world can ever bring true happiness. Christ alone and His reign in our lives. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord, right? Yes. Right, the, the Bible says, um, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people, any nation or people group that have received this truth that the Lord reigns and glorifies God in that way, in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives, they become the most blessed people on the earth. Hallelujah. That you and I can feel to be in that number tonight. Christ alone can make happy. Christ alone can extend peace. And Christ alone can administer the justice that we all seek for our life and for our time and for our world. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Christ Jesus, He is Lord of all. Hallelujah. This is the great message of the sovereignty of God. That God is, is supreme. That He, he reigns. That, that He's not thwarted. He's not... Uh, in any way uh, frustrated. And, and when he created the world, beloved, he just did it, didn't he? God didn't, didn't say and look around and say, hey, man, what should we do about this darkness, Gigi? <laughs> no, God, by divine fear and power, said, let there be light, and there was light. He divided light and darkness and, and all of creation. And, 
And so when Job really wanted to and struggle against the sovereignty of God in his life, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say that I don't sometimes. I'm not even saying all the time I like God's sovereignty in my life, but he's still sovereign. I'm just having a bad attitude when, when I'm that way. It's not doing me any good like he told the Apostle Paul. Uh, when he was Saul, he said, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, right? And Job comes before God, and God visits Job. He said, okay, you wanted to talk to me? Here I am. He said, uh, where were you? Where were you when I made the worlds? Can you draw out Leviathan? Uh, can all these things? And Job said, oh, Lord. I heard of you with the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth you. He said, I'll just place my hand over my mouth. I'll just be quiet and acknowledge that Father, even so, for it seemed good in thy sight. Amen. That's what I want to say, Lord. Well, that's important. God's sovereignty and creation, providence and salvation is the greatest encouragement possible for evangelism. And why I'm making that point and stressing that point is because sometimes the Armenian world, they'll say to us, well, if I believed what you did about election and predestination, I wouldn't go out and, and witness at all. And really, when you think about how contradictory that that is, because what they're saying is, is that God can't save his people, that they need to go out and do it to get the job done for God. How um, degrading to the God of the Bible and all that he says about his work in the redemption of his people. Hmm. Secondly, God's sovereignty deepens our veneration of God. God's sovereignty deepens our veneration of God. And what I'm, what I'm talking about, it gives us an exalted view of God. We're able to glorify God as God when we see Him as truly as a sovereign God. Because, first and foremost, when we say God is sovereign, God maintains His right as the Creator. Now, what has man and modern man tried to do from the 19th century on except deny God His rights as Creator? They're willing to believe anything. A big bang. They, they convinced whole generations of people that they descended from monkeys, even though we can look in the fossil record and see in the fossil record that there were monkey fossils and there were man fossils, but there were no man-monkey fossils. There were no missing links. And yet still, they wanted to deny God His rights, His sovereignty as Creator, because then they don't owe allegiance to Him. If man is the measure of all things, if man is just a cosmic mistake that came about by chance over billions and billions and billions of years mm, no the sovereignty of God it maintains that maintains God's rights as creator let's let's just look at a couple of scriptures let's go can you go quickly with me first Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6 I'll highlight these in your Bible and never lose sight of of this doctrine Oh, yes, this is so beautiful, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom 
are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Hallelujah, that's the sovereign God of the Bible. Sovereign in creation. Even uh, John even, even uh, says it a little bit more powerful in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, there's the sovereignty of God, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things. Not all things evolved. Not all things uh, came into being by chance. No, God, the sovereign God, created you. He created me. We owe Him our allegiance. We owe Him our lives and our breath. This is His world. Our bodies are not our own. He created them. He made them. Everything that we use and to, to live and have our being, we owe to God. For Thou hast created all things, and listen, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's the sovereignty of God. And guess what? God can do, because He's sovereign, God can do whatever that He wants with what is His. Now man cries out against that. Prideful man says, no, God, I'm way more important uh, than that. Uh, you can't violate my free will. Uh, you can't, God can't choose my destiny. I'm the master of my own fate. Oh yeah, well, who in here decided how tall that you were going to be or what color your eyes were going to be or what family you were going to be or what time that you were going to be born in the world. Who in here is going to choose the moment of their death and what's going to happen after you die? No one. No one here is the master of anything. But we serve a master, a sovereign one. And aren't you glad that he's good? And he's sovereign in creation. And this magnifies, so the sovereignty of God, what it does is it magnifies His grace. Isn't it amazing when Moses said, Lord, back in, in the Old Testament, He said, Lord, I beseech you, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God puts him in the cleft of the rock and, and He passes by him. He sees his hinder parts. But what is, what is declared at that moment to Moses? It's the sovereignty of God. He says, I'm the Lord I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. And so Romans 8 and 9, it's hard to believe that anybody could read those chapters honestly and not come away with the understanding that God is sovereign in salvation. It's very, it's very hard uh, if you came to it with an honest reading. Let's just go to a few places here. We're, we're talking about now how that God's sovereignty deepens our veneration of God and of salvation. It, it gives us a more exalted view of God and of salvation. It, it's not a God that is trying to save me but can't. It's not a God but that, that's just, He's come halfway and he's, he's asking me to meet Him the other half of the way so that He can save me. It's not a God that's asking me uh, to believe in Him so that then He can come into my heart and make me a child of God. No, we don't read about any of that in the Word of God. That's all the invention of men. It's all the invention of men. But here is the Word of God, right? Romans 9, let's just, let's just pick a spot 
Uh, let, let's go uh, Romans 9, and let's start at 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Brother Nathan, that's not fair. That's not fair if, if you read the story in a lot of instances, Esau was a better person than Jacob was. You're right. You're right. But listen to what the scripture says that God said in this regards, I love Jacob and I hated Esau. Is that what the Bible says? Does it say, I love Jacob's ways? Anybody have a Bible with that version? Does it say, I, I hated Esau's ways, and I love Jacob's ways? No, it says, I chose to love Jacob, and I chose to hate Esau. Why, God? Why would he love anybody? Because he's a God of grace, and he chose to, and it was his good pleasure to do so. That's all that we can say. So, verse 14, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Was it unfair? Was it wrong for God to love some and to choose some and to leave others to themselves? Let's read on. For he saith to Moses, what I just quoted you a minute ago from the cleft of the rock, I will have mercy on whom? I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Sounds like God's sovereign over this thing. Sounds like God gets to be the one that decides. So then it is not of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So you see what I'm saying is that the sovereignty of God in salvation especially it allows us to have a more exalted view of God, a more exalted view of salvation, of what grace really is. That grace isn't God just giving somebody a chance to be saved, but grace is God actually saving someone by His grace. It makes also known the irreversibleness of His will. You know, some people think that God can want, want to save someone, and it's God's will to save one, someone, but that person can resist his will and choose not to be saved. I tell you, the, the Bible does not speak uh, to that at all, but actually the opposite, right? There is an irreversibleness to the will of God. What God wills, what God pleases to do, that's exactly what God does. Amen? We just read that. He doeth his will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Nobody can do that. Who hath resisted his will? It's like a rhetorical question. There's no way to resist the will of God. His will is irreversible. Acts 15, verse 18 beginning of verse 17 actually that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things why because known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world 
So what is the value of God's sovereignty to the believer? I believe that the sovereignty of, of God, the value of God's sovereignty to the believer, this is point three. The value of God's sovereignty to the believer is that it deeply humbles the soul of man. And that's part of why we know that it's the truth. When something is, is the truth, it gives all glory to God and it always humbles the pride of man. You can write it down every time. It deeply humbles the soul of man. So John would say in John 1 and 13, which were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of what? Were born of God. So no one in here, you know, this is the truth. This is the ultimate truth. No one in heaven can say they deserve to be there. And no one in hell can say, I do not deserve to be here. The ones in heaven can only say, I'm here by the grace of God. By the grace of a sovereign God. And the ones in hell abide there under the wrath of that same sovereign God. And he gets glory, just as much glory in either case. It gives the believer also a sense of absolute security. Knowing that a sovereign God saved me by sovereign grace, that is what gives to the believer his sense of absolute security in the love of God. That the, the same God that chose me before the world began, the same God that came in, in the form of his son into the world and died for my sins upon the cross, is the same God that comes into my heart and applies that salvation into my soul and will keep me until that day. That is all the work of a sovereign God. That's the only real true security there is for the child of God is that they're saved by that sovereign God. That's why I said, what, did, what does it matter if we say that Jesus saves if Jesus doesn't reign? If he can't keep us saved. But he can and he has. It's the it gives the sovereignty of God gives to the believer a sense of absolute security and it gives and it supplies us comfort in all of our sorrows. We realize that no matter what happens to us in this life, whether it's our blessings or our sorrows, our, our joys, our weepings, that it has all been mitigated into our lives and has passed through the sovereign will of God and that God said that I'm not going to allow anything to happen to you but it's not for my glory and your good and so then you can rest in that and that's why people even even something that we go to that is hard for people like the death of infants that's a hard thing isn't it it's hard to think about an infant dying especially like if it was your own and so almost everybody, because of the emotionality of that, they say, well, every child that dies uh, goes to heaven to be with God. The scripture does not say that. The scripture does not say that. Um, what we do know is that elect infants will be with God in heaven. If they, if they die, they'll, they'll be, we know the scripture says that. But, but this is the, the thing. If you really believe in the sovereignty of God, no matter who it is, no matter if it's an infant, no matter if it's your, your wife, your child, 
whatever God has determined and whatever comes to pass is what's best and you can rest in God's will and God's sovereignty or you have no rest at all. Anything else is just a false hope. It's just a false hope. So, our attitude toward God's sovereignty. Like I said, I tried to be honest. I said sometimes God's sovereignty upsets me. Sometimes God doesn't do things the way that I want him to or the way that I feel that these are things don't turn out. Like tonight, I would have every pew full and people standing outside busting the doors to get in to, to worship him, to, to hear this message. That's not the way that God decided for it to be. What, what do I do? Do I pout? Do, do, I, do I whine? Do I say, oh God, oh, if all these other people in, are in error, why are their churches full and ours is half empty? What, what are you doing? No. Our attitudes toward God's sovereignty is one of entire resignation, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Nevertheless, not what I will, but let your will be done. It should be one of deep thankfulness and joy as well. It should be one of adoring worship to God that you are the supreme sovereign of my life, of all the universe. Lord, I trust you with all things, in all things. Because, Lord, you'll always do what's right. May the Lord bless you and keep you as our prayer.